most misunderstood human behaviors, most especially because of how much it scares other people. People think, if they could do that to themselves, what could they do to me? Also, cutting is an extremely addictive behavior. For this reason, I figured I'd go into this subject. Before we get too deep into it, I'm going to come right out and tell you that I was addicted to cutting myself for many, many years, so I understand this topic on a multitude of different levels and perspectives within this universe. Now chances are, if you are not a cutter yourself, you will come across somebody in your lifetime who is cutting, or was a cutter. And for this reason, it's important for us to delve into this topic on a deeper level. For the sake of this video, I'm going to be referring to cutters, just like that, as cutters, because that's the stereotypical term that we use to describe people who are engaging in cutting or self-harm. But I want you to not mistake this. Cutting is not an identity, it's a symptom. And there are many other behaviors that fall under the category of self-injury than just cutting. Some people are burners, some people freeze themselves, some people pull out their hair, some people break their own bones, engage in bruising, other people embed objects within their body. So there are many different types of self-injury. Cutting is only one of these. And what you'll find with self-injury is that the person who's engaging in that self-injuring behavior has a reason for why they're picking that particular way of harming themselves. For example, a cutter might choose cutting because they're full of really negative emotion, and when they watch the blood leave their body, they feel like the emotions are leaving with the blood. The first thing we have to understand about cutting is that cutting is not a suicide attempt. Some cutters, it is true, are suicidal, but other cutters are not. Cutting in and of itself is a coping mechanism. The second thing we have to understand is that cutting is addictive. It's an addictive compulsion. For anything to meet the criteria of addiction, it has to adhere to the three C's. Number one, craving for the substance. Number two, loss of control once the thought to use arises in the mind of the person. And number three, continued use in spite of negative consequences. Cutting fits these three criteria for an addiction, and a lot of the addiction to cutting revolves around an addiction to endorphins. Endorphins block pain, but also play a part in our ability to feel relief and pleasure. They affect us much like codeine or morphine does. When endorphins reach the opiate receptors in the limbic system, especially in the part of your brain called the hypothalamus, you experience relief, pleasure, and a sense of satisfaction you also feel more calm and positively energized. Here's the thing. When your body experiences pain, your brain releases endorphins. Endorphins both soothe and energize you so you can get out of harm's way. For this reason, cutting soothes negative emotion. It is a coping mechanism which provides temporary relief of intense feelings such as anxiety, guilt, depression, 
stress, emotional numbness, a sense of failure or self-loathing, low self-worth, or the pressure of perfectionism. We can become addicted to the chemicals that our own body produces with the same veracity as we become addicted to a street drug. And when we start to associate the action of cutting with that feeling of relief, that sets up a neuropathway in our brain which compels us every time we feel negative emotional states to seek relief through the behavior of cutting. That's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to cutting. To understand cutting fully, we have to dive even deeper, and we have to understand that self-harm is not only a behavior we see in humans, we also see it in other animals, animals that are captive. Therein lies an interesting truth. At some level, the physical human, who is a cutter, feels some kind of captivity. Without exception, like a caged animal, the cutter is in a prison where negative emotion, especially despair, hatred, and rage, cannot be expressed. And so those emotional states are internalized. There is nowhere for the energy to turn but inwards towards the self, and so they are expressed upon the self. Those emotional states that compel a person towards cutting are the result of childhood traumas. For example, one of the most common causal situations that leads to cutting is a child perceives themselves as being emotionally rejected by a parent that is supposed to love them, or that the child wished loved them. This is common, of course, if the child is born to a critical or perfectionistic parent. The child develops hatred and rage for that parent and experiences a deep level of despair, but when the child expresses those emotions, they are shamed for it. Those emotions are invalidated. Their parent turns the emotion back on the child by implying that the emotions mean something is wrong with the child because there's no other valid reason for them to feel that way. Because of this, the feelings are internalized. The child becomes hypercritical of herself or himself, and that hatred, now internalized, becomes focused at the self. To understand this causal scenario that leads to cutting deeper, imagine a fish in a fish tank. Now imagine that that fish is projecting emotion outwards. That emotion will hit the glass walls of the tank and ricochet back towards the fish. As a cutter, it may take you years to realize that no child is born loathing themselves. It may take you years to realize that what has actually happened is that somebody in your life has treated you in a less than loving way. And you have internalized these feelings and now you treat yourself with the same level of disapproval, with the same level of self-loathing. You treat yourself like something is inherently wrong with you, that you are bad and thus need to be punished. You have exchanged emotional torture for physical mutilation. All cutters are self-loathing. All cutters are self-critical. You did not learn to view yourself this way. You were seen this way by other people, and so you learned to see yourself this way. I challenge you to look beyond the surface of things. I challenge you to look at that myth that parents love us because they're our parents and instead be open to the idea that somebody in your childhood did not love you like you needed to be loved. Somebody in your childhood rejected who you were. Look deeply within yourself and admit to who should have loved you, but either couldn't or didn't. Cutting is often a sign of abuse, especially sexual abuse, because it's a manifestation of the despair and self-loathing that arises from internalizing the despair and rage that occurs when we are not loved by someone who we wanted to love us. It's also an attempt to gain control over our body, which we did not have control over when it was being used by other people. When it comes to our negative emotions, we do not feel the capacity 
to feel the way that we feel, especially if our emotions were invalidated, if our feelings were not okay. For this reason, we are after two things, sedation and control. To sedate our emotions means to numb or drown out our awareness of our negative feeling. To control is to gain power over our discomfort. When we feel negative emotion, we feel out of control, so we gain back our control by exerting control over the way that we feel. All addictions without fail exist to either sedate or control our emotions. Cutting accomplishes both sedation and control. We can sedate our negative feelings through an endorphin release. We can control our emotions by creating and causing that endorphin release. There are two types of cutters. There are cutters who are secretive and ritualistic about their cutting, and there are cutters who are demonstrative about their cutting. Whether a cutter is secretive or demonstrative is going to tell you a lot about whether somebody is needing sedation or control more so. Those who are ritualized with their cutting and who are secretive are more desperate for a feeling of control. On the other end of the spectrum, you have cutters that are demonstrative. These people will cut in areas which are visible to society because they need sedation. They're looking for some way to feel a sensation of relief instead of a sensation of control. But here's the thing. They're looking for that sensation of sedation or relief to come through other people. These cutters are desperate for rescue. Society shames them for cutting by saying that they just cut for attention. And so they cannot admit to anyone, or even to themselves, that what they want is for someone to notice. They are in a prison of a torturous situation, unseen by society and by the people around them. They are shamed for wanting attention that subconsciously they do want so badly. They want attention because they want someone to save them from the hell they're living in. Think of it as a visible SOS. The dream is that on top of the sedation of the endorphin release, someone will come to sedate our pain by loving and caring about us enough. Of course, cutting has the opposite effect on people. It drives them away. I was a cutter who was desperate for rescue. I'll never forget this time when I was 18 years old, when I was the most desperate for people to notice the internal pain that I was in. I was at a very public ski resort in the cafeteria area, and I was openly cutting with a piece of glass. The blood was running out onto the floor. And all these families kept passing me by, including children. Only the little kids were the ones who said anything. I remember a little girl looking up at her mother and saying, What's wrong with that girl, Mommy? And nobody wanted to come talk to me. Instead, they were repelled and they walked by me. Even a group of ski patrolmen. I couldn't have admitted at that point in my life that what I wanted was attention. I could never have admitted that it was a desperate plea for help. That was too shameful. That was what my parents were shaming me for the whole time when I was growing up and cutting. But what I really wanted was for somebody to stop and to recognize the amount of pain that I was in. I wanted attention to be drawn to what was wrong with me. I wanted someone to notice. My life felt like I was in a prison of glass where I could see out but no one could see in. The last thing on earth that you need to do is to shame a cutter for wanting attention. It's the same thing as shaming somebody who is stranded in a hostage situation for writing SOS on the wall because it's just a desperate plea for attention. When it comes to cutting like any addiction, the addiction itself is just a symptom of a deeper root cause. That's why when people come to seek my help for cutting, 
It's never about stopping the cutting. It's about finding the root cause of why we might be cutting. We treat the symptom of cutting the same way as we would a rash. You treat the underlying conditions, not the rash itself. That's the only way to get that behavior to modify. That's the only way to integrate the emotions causing those particular behaviors. Cutting is done to avoid and escape the way we feel. But as long as we avoid the way we feel, we can't find healing. We have to be willing to go in the opposite direction when we feel upset and use the compulsive energy we feel to propel us deeper within the very emotion we are trying to escape from. We set out to integrate the emotional body. For this reason, it is essential that anyone who is struggling with cutting watch my video on YouTube titled Healing the Emotional Body. There are many, many techniques to get you to stop the actual behavior of cutting. But for obvious reasons, I think this is a surface solution and it's an artificial healing, not a genuine healing. The reasons that you are cutting are rooted deeply in childhood trauma, and until we're willing to go to that place, we will find no solution to the cutting itself. But, I will share with you today the one technique that actually did accomplish the end of my cutting. To do this, I had to get in touch with the inner child. Now, all good modalities that deal with healing emotional trauma will at some level and at some degree put you in touch with the child within. Now what I did to end my cutting can be summed up in one sentence. I imagined that by cutting myself, I was cutting the child within me. Most cutters have a ritual spot where they cut. Mine was in the bathroom. So what I did is I sorted through my photographs for the most adorable picture of myself that I could find as a child and I taped it up in the bathroom. If you don't have a childhood photograph of yourself, what you could do is imagine yourself as a small child. Now every time I went to cut, I would imagine that I was cutting that child. I would imagine grabbing her arm and having her squirm away from me and cry and not understand why I was abusing her, why I was treating her this way, why she needed to be punished. I want you to try that. Every time you go to cut, imagine that you're cutting your childhood self. Watch yourself pull against that cruelty. Watch yourself cry at your own mercy. What I noticed when I started doing this is that I couldn't do it. I started collapsing into tears. I couldn't cut the child, even though I could cut the adult. Here's the thing. If you can't cut the child and you can cut the adult, the minute you realize that there's no difference between your childhood self and the adult self because the childhood self is still within, you can't cut your adult self. And if you're someone who can cut your adult self still despite this practice, then the child within is still a conceptualization to you. It's not something you have experienced fully. It's not something you have come into contact with emotionally. It's not a reality to you yet. If you know someone who's cutting, you cannot stop their behavior for them. They have to want to stop, and to want to stop, that behavior has to not serve them anymore. The thing is, as long as they still have those unintegrated emotions and traumas within their body, as long as they're still trying to escape from the emotion, the cutting still serves them. The worst thing you could do to a cutter is to shame them for cutting. This does nothing more than add fuel to the fire of why they are cutting in the first place. If you want to help, don't react to the cutting behavior itself. Demonstrate your unconditional love to them by drawing attention to and desiring to understand the emotions that they are trying to escape from by cutting. On some level, every cutter wants you to know how much pain they're in. They need to be acknowledged and they need their pain to be validated instead of invalidated.
They need to be loved regardless of how they feel, instead of be led to believe that they are only lovable and wanted if they feel good. What they need is the opposite of rejection. They need to know that something is right with them instead of wrong. If any cutters are watching this now, take this last sentence that I said to heart. The opposite of what you need is rejection. Nothing is wrong with you. Instead, everything is right with you because your emotional guidance system is reflecting to you deeply suppressed traumas and deeply suppressed emotions within your system. Begin to know your triggers because those triggers are a good indication as to the traumas you experienced in your childhood which need to be felt and integrated. There is nothing that is wrong with you because your emotions are telling you accurately how you are emotionally treated by other people when you were young. Just don't expect them to admit to it. <laughs>